think there's a lot of changes in parenting and that parents are afraid of kids' feelings and parents are afraid to have their kids be mad at them or have conflict with them. And kids need their parents to be able to have difficult conversations. They need their parents to not ignore things, but they need their parents to recognize things and have difficult conversations because otherwise, when you have a kid that really needs help, you're not going to know it. Thank you for, um, you know, just sort of getting the word out about, you know, anxiety and in sort of it's not something to be ashamed of and i'm always happy to hear you know like we were talking about earlier other people say hey i've dealt with this too and you know to acknowledge it instead of sort of running from it hello everyone welcome to powering up a cross-generational conversation about leadership and power through a female lens i'm ann doyle author of Powering Up, How America's Women Achievers Become Leaders. And I'm Monica Doyle. Our topic today is anxiety, stress, and self-criticism. I'm also excited to have my cousin, Kevin Farrell, in the studio with us. Kevin is Anne's son. He and I both know from personal experience that record numbers of millennials are coping with anxiety, stress, and even suicide. Uh, so we've been interested in talking with Anne on the subject of anxiety and depression. Welcome, Kevin. Um, Thank you. Thanks for having me. What did you think is like the most important thing about this particular topic? I think it's important that um, you know we we acknowledge that we have mental health problems, you know, and um, that it's not something to be ashamed of. It's just you know something that makes us unique. Well, I know that you both have lots of questions as well as your own experiences to share in this conversation, and that's why I am thrilled that we have a nationally recognized expert with us to guide us through it. Dr. Jane Shore is a psychotherapist. She's an executive coach and leadership consultant and co-founder of the Resilience Group in uh, the Philadelphia area. She is also particularly known for her expertise in bolstering resilience and self-confidence and in helping people break negative thought patterns that can undermine the confidence of even very successful individuals. And she authored, uh, co-authored Inside Outside, Self-Discovery for Teens, among other things. So welcome, Jane. Thanks so much. Wonderful to be with all of you. Well, I know that you have a TED Talk called Boost Resilience and Take Charge of the Inner Critic and the Inner Worrier. Would you start us out by telling us about the key messages of that talk? Yeah, happy to. Um, well, having come up close and personal with my own inner critic, my work partner, Beth Weinstock, and I started to really just get curious about the nature of this critic and how it activates high levels of insecurity and anxiety and doubt. And what we've discovered is that while any of us can prepare and be confident and prepared for something, at any moment in time in our emotional brain, a switch can get flipped and activate us into high levels of doubting ourselves and questioning 
whether we're really okay and exaggerating how bad something is. So from following up with our own experiences and those with the people that we work with, we've discovered that it's really important to understand the nature of this emotional brain and how the limbic system, which is the part of the brain that controls emotionally-based thinking and emotionally-based emotion, the nature of it, how it gets activated, and what we can do both to prevent it from getting activated, but also what we can do once it does get activated in order to bring it down to a more simmering level where it's easier to manage it. So um, one thing that I'm interested in in talking to you about, especially on the topic, is um, criticism uh, and you you use the word critic a lot. So for me, one of the biggest ways that my anxiety has manifested is in artwork. Um, I have a very difficult time um, producing my artwork because of an, ex- an anxiety of criticism, an anxiety to show people. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about some of the things that people tend to focus their anxiety on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, our worry comes from that place of putting ourselves down and making ourselves feel bad and less than if it is if if our the standard is in a particular way and you know i think that this has gotten worse in our culture for sure and i think that's part of the rise in the anxiety for millennials is that there's um, there's a sense that everything needs to be just so, and the process of being in a learner and growing skill and getting from here to there isn't something that is valued enough. And instead, people feel, I think, that they need to be there. And if they're not there, you know, at some more developed stage of expertise or more developed state with one's art or writing or music or whatever it might be, then they need to feel bad about themselves. So this is where the inner coach comes into play. The inner coach is that part of us that recognizes that we have this tendency towards anxiety and tendency towards blaming and shaming ourselves. And it works with us to look at something and to hear feedback from the lens and from the filtering system of some part of ourselves that's more reasonable and more rational and more neutral and is listening more for information than it is for whether or not we're right or wrong or good or bad. Um, And it helps us to notice tones of voice because a lot of what makes us feel bad tends to be in harsh tones of voice, both inner tones of voice inside of our own head and outer tones of voice, the way we may speak to ourselves out loud. And so simply by changing tone of voice and by playing around with that, we get to practice a, an inner voice, a voice with ourselves that is much more user-friendly. It's much more um, supportive and encouraging and guides us to have courage to be able to look at something in a way that 
has us feel more vulnerable. Whereas when we're looking at something from the lens of our inner critic, it's much harder to be vulnerable and it's much harder to be a learner. We just want to run for cover because the inner critic just makes us feel bad about ourselves and it puts us down and blames us and makes us feel like, you know, we're no good. Um, yeah. So Jane, I have, I have a question. Sure. Um, so what about if I've, a lot of times I would just feel just a general sense of anxiety and I, you know, I'm not sure, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily my inner critic. I just, it's just a general sense of worry is so, is there anything you can, you know, explain about that or, you know, ways to sort of, um, you know, try to combat that feeling? Yeah, I think there's a lot. I mean, it's a big question, but I can give you some some tips sure. here. Is that our our worry lives inside our nervous system, and our nervous system is powered by neurochemicals such as cortisol and adrenaline. So one of the things that is most effective in managing the degrees of worry that we're carrying around is actually doing a whole lot of breath work that helps us direct our mind's attention to breathing more slowly um, and using different techniques of breath so that we'll hang in there and try different things. One of the couple of breaths that I really like, one is if, if you hold your hand on your belly and as you inhale, expand your belly, and as you exhale, pull your belly button to your back. We're all doing this right now. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and the listening audience, too, as you inhale, expand the belly like a balloon. And as you exhale, pull the belly button towards the back. So if you do 10 to 20 rounds of that breath, your cortisol and adrenaline levels are going to come down. And what's going to happen is that your neurochemicals that are the calming chemicals, like oxytocin, they're going to rise. Wow. Interesting. So yeah. um, on on that note about the breathing, there has been, uh, so I, I just got an Apple Watch recently, and it has this breathe function on there um, <laughs> where it basically just stops you in the middle of the day and says, hey, take a minute to breathe, you know, and then it, like, breathes well, with you. Yeah, it, it was a surprisingly useful thing. But um, I was kind of interested in in things that you think society is adapting to this kind of anxiety with, because obviously it's something that's becoming much more well-known, um, much more talked about. Is is there any benefit to this, you know, better knowledge that we have nowadays? And do you think that the way people are approaching it is helping improve it? Well, I think with the advent of the field of positive psychology, we have a lot more information and research into what helps us be able to manage that kind of pessimism and increase optimism and reduce stress and increase more feelings of calm and well-being. I think there's also a great need for media literacy around this theme of anxiety. Um, you know, for years, I worked with media literacy around the themes of negative body image and how advertising took on this, 
getting people to feel bad about their bodies in order to sell more products. Mm -hmm. And it was very effective. And I think that there's a there are many ways in which advertisers have built on the discovery that the more they get people to feel bad about themselves, the more people spend money on products. And so it wow. infiltrates every aspect of advertising. Mm -hmm. And we are subjected to a minimum of 3,000 advertisements a day. A minimum. Wow. Even if we don't think we're, we're subjected to it, we are. If you're just outside, on buses, on, on uh, billboards, on the we can't at this point be on our computers without pop-ups sure our phones social media i mean everywhere yeah. well mm -hmm. and at this point now we're starting to see people actually kind of reverse that advertising like you have campaigns like the dove campaign which was you know putting its advertising efforts into doing the opposite into making people feel good about their bodies and saying hey don't buy our product because you hate yourself buy our product because it'll make you feel better so is, is that, do you think, um, so I have in front of me 19% um, of millennials report suffering from depression and anxiety. Um, Kevin, you're a millennial, right? I am. Okay, so Kevin and I are both millennials. We're obviously in that 19%. Um, so why is it that millennials in particular seem to have these high numbers? Like, what is it about us? Well, <laughs> give me all the answers. Is, is it this generation or it's also the times? Commercial. Well, oh, okay. I think it's, I'm going to connect it to the Dove commercial because that's a, it's a brilliant campaign and people ought to go um, and Google that Dove commercial. There, there's a, a number of, I think, three different terrific YouTubes where they show how advertisements are created. And we sh they show how people are made to seem perfect even though it's not a real person. Mm -hmm. And Millennials have lived your entire life under the influence of digital technology. Mm -hmm. It's the first generation that has ever lived completely under the influence of digital technology, meaning that prior to the early, 1900, the early 1990s, you didn't have the, the Photoshopping available. People took a photograph. That actual photograph was used. You could touch it up a little bit, but nothing major. Mm -hmm. And and so throughout one's lifetime, growing up, you know, for 30, you know, in the last 30 years, everybody has thought they're supposed to look a certain way that is completely different from reality. And the way in which you're presented with how you're supposed to look and how you're supposed to feel is complete fabrication, is complete fiction. And people don't know it really enough and haven't in early lifetime, you know, in early years of development, really learned how to be aware of that and aware of the influence that it's had on you. The other is that social media, which you've grown up with since you were, mm, half your lifetime ago? Yeah, right? I was in high At school. At least, yeah. yeah middle school and for me all the texting and the intrusion into your life has created a lot of anxiety the research on texting and our response and the brain's response to the 
letting us know that there's someone who's just texted us <laughs> is information. It lets us know there's a lot of anxiety simply from that. And with the advent of these Apple Watches, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I'm concerned about how much more intrusion and how much less we're able to separate and keep that visual and vibration cue from being activated in our brain. So I think it's actually better to have more separateness from the technology and from being alerted to it. You know, one of the things I wanted to um, bring up here that's related to all this is this whole issue regarding suicide. Because Mm -hmm. also, um, you know, the statistics regarding suicide um, are really staggering. And um, I, I saw something that said suicide last year hit a 19-year high among young people 10 to 17 years old. And uh, I have, uh, I think you know this, that um, I have a sister who committed suicide when she was 22. I was 25. And so I'm very um, tuned into that and uh, aware of that. And so I guess um, I'm interested in, I asked the question as a parent, you know, and, and maybe parents who are listening in terms of, you know, when you see young people who are suffering maybe anxiety, is there something to watch for in terms of managing it at that stage and not letting it go so far as to losing your child? And I don't know if those are directly related or not, but I'm interested in your perspective on that. Um, you know, there's so many different factors that influence somebody to feel the depression that leads to suicide. And I I want to distinguish anxiety from depression Mm -hmm. because I think it's important for everybody to do that. You know, there's depression that has anxiety along with depression, and then there's depression that doesn't really have the presence of anxiety as a factor. Um, And those people who are carrying around a tendency towards um, isolating themselves or um, feeling a tremendous amount of shame or needing to socially avoid are more at risk of being able to take harmful actions of killing themselves because they don't know what else to do. And I think that this is where parents really need to be attuned. Mm -hmm. And parents need to be attuned in a way that talks to kids. You know, I I think there's a lot of changes in parenting. And that parents are afraid of kids' feelings and parents are afraid to have their kids be mad at them or have conflict with them. And kids need their parents to be able to have difficult conversations. They need their parents to not ignore things, but they need their parents to recognize things and have difficult conversations because otherwise, when you have a kid that really needs help, you're not going to know it. Because generally, young people aren't going to come to parents and say, like, hey, by the way, I need to talk to somebody. 
or I got something that's really going on that's really hard for me. They don't have that language yet. Mm-hmm. So they need people who are going to notice the signs and they're going to talk to their friends and they're going to talk to their teachers and help their peers also share information with the parents of their peers. Mm-hmm. That's certainly my experience is that peers will share information with other parents Mm. So that's how parents get information about their kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I've actually um, kind of been, so I've been dealing with depression for several years now, danced around the subject of suicide as well. Um, and I got to say, it, it wasn't something that that we learned to deal with easy. So it started mostly with my mom you know, kind of trying to figure out how to communicate with me on this subject. And it wasn't easy. We tried a lot of different things. And eventually, you know, we kind of came to this place of how do we talk about this with each other? Um, You know, one thing that I think people tend to do, um, especially parents, is, you know, if your kid comes to you and says, hey, I'm having suicidal thoughts, you know, the first reaction is to freak out. But I think naturally um the person you know when they're saying this to you a person who is depressed doesn't feel like in extremes other than sadness you know they almost feel like an empty shell and so if you tell them something and somebody freaks out and makes a huge deal out of it you kind of just want to go back into your little shell so i think it's really important to have calm conversations about these subjects um, that helped a lot with my mom, and then later on, um, my brother as well. He, he, bas- they basically just opened up as this channel to talk calmly about the subject, not to to make a huge deal like, "Hey, are you self harming?" You know, and it wasn't like, "Don't do that. Stop doing that right now." It was just like, "Let's talk about this. Why is this happening, and what can we do to fix it?" You know, lots of parents. I think their first reaction is, "Oh my God, hide all the sharp objects." That's not going to stop somebody from self-harming if they're self-harming. I guarantee it. They're what's, just your, what's your perspective on that, Jane? Um, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying. I think that it it is a tendency to freak out because the feeling is freak out, but that, that's generally not what's going to get somebody to keep talking. And in order for somebody to manage feelings of depression and manage feelings of anxiety they need to understand what's going on and how how what they can do with it and that doesn't happen unless we're able to talk um you know i think there's also some parents who aren't able to do that Mm -hmm. and those are and and that it's important to enlist professionals who have that as a skill base um and that's valid because it's saying to your kid, you know what, I may not be the best person with this, but I'm going to get you help. I'm going to find someone and we're going to get you to this person so that they can help you and they can help me. And they can help both of us be able to help you feel less depressed and more um, energized and more feeling like, you know, life has some meaning and some um, and get more energy that has you motivated and feeling better. Well, and Kevin, um, when when you're experiencing anxiety, I'm I'm curious to hear what 
is an easier way for you to talk about it. Like, I, I know from my own experience, you know, having to go through like, okay, I don't want to ever talk to you about this again. And then also being like, okay, that was a good conversation. I felt like it was good. Was there any particular experiences like that for you? I would say that I, I started sort of trying to tackle my anxiety head on about mm-hmm. seven years ago. Um, and I was lucky in that I, I don't think my mom fully understood it, but she was willing to learn about it. And um, I think that's incredibly important. And I wonder, Jane, if there's any way, you know, is there anything that you would recommend to sort of, you know, help get the word out to, you know, parents everywhere, um, you know, to or just like, you know, to educate them a little bit more? Well, I think there's a ton of material. You know, if people go to the Internet, there's lots of really good information. There's, there's TED Talks. There's books, there's um, many different sites, but what you're saying is important here. It's the willingness to learn. It's the willingness to be in the process of learning. Um, Most of us don't understand the nature of worry and the nature of the way that the nervous system operates. And um, the, the... being a learner and being willing to be partners with your children or with your friend or with, you know, someone who's your peer, um, that's a way to do it, too. Because sometimes it's not your parent that's the best person to help you along, you know. And sometimes we're really lucky we have that as a parent. But for other people, they don't have that in a parent. They can have that in a friend. Yeah, well, and actually we've talked a lot about parents and anxiety But I've had a lot of fantastic experiences with other people who have had anxiety. You know, there's a little bit of a brotherhood going on, sisterhood. (laughs) And um, so one one of the biggest things that I've noticed is um, I I felt like I didn't have a lot of friends that I could talk to about anxiety. But um, as I got a little bit older and dealt with my anxiety, I found other friends who had anxiety that didn't know how to deal with it. And at this point, I had been dealing with it for a while. And, you know, just being able to say to somebody, this happens to me, too. Like, I can't even express how relieved people get when they hear that. Like, Mm -hmm. I had a friend who one time had a panic attack at a crowded party because of the crowd. And... Mm -hmm. I, I just took her into the other room. She was, like, shaking, and I said, I totally understand what you're going through. I've felt this, too. And she calmed down almost immediately. And I was like, gosh, I wish somebody had said that to me one time. <laughs> so I think the friend aspect is very important and very underestimated. You know, anytime I do a training, whether it's in a workplace or whether it's in a personal growth retreat center, The number one takeaway for people is, I didn't know it wasn't just me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is so powerful to know that as a human being, we are wired for worry. (laughs) We are wired to be highly alert and attuned to danger and signs of threat. And that that's how we survived as a species. And we have a lot of sources right now in our culture 
that are trying to get us to worry about a lot of different things. And we can't get away from it all. We're just like, cannot get away from it all. But if we pay attention to what really activates it and try to eliminate some of that, that begins to decrease the triggers. And if we also remind ourselves that this kind of negative self-talk is normal, that it's coming from that worry system that had us survive, and that it doesn't mean we're bad people and it doesn't mean that we're weird, then we can begin talking about it more. And what I say is that that becomes a way of normalizing it. And when people have this way of feeling like, okay, wait a second, like you have this thing that I have, you do this also, (laughs) then a lot of the shame and worry that comes from that dissipates. Because it's now like, oh, okay, this is part of being a human being. I had no idea. Right. You know, and Kevin, uh, my son, I'm so happy that he's in the studio and agreed to come in here with Monica and me to talk about this. And just the other day, I don't know, I said something that I was worrying about. And he's like, oh, hey, I live with worry every day. Like, you, you know, you're, you're talking to somebody who's like, Preaching I get choir. it. Right. But it's such a relief to hear that, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and listen, the worry system, what it does is it predicts negative things are going to happen. And it predicts that those negative things are going to happen in really bad ways. And if we begin to practice imagining, all right, that's my inner worrier. Now, let me imagine that it actually works out. Well, what would that look like if it worked out? Well, some of what that looks like is just the absence of the thing that we're most fearing, Mm -hmm. right? Like when we look at an email and we see somebody has emailed us and we have this flash of inner flame that has, oh, no, they're (gasps) really mad at me or I forgot to do this thing or something horrible, right? We're in major anxiety. And then we read the email and, well, they're just letting us know about a date or some information. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Happens to me so often. Dreading opening right. an email, dreading opening a report card. Sure, yeah. <laughs> if I don't open it, I never got the grade. Yeah. <laughs> so I like to have people imagine a remote control and practice using this imaginary remote control to put on mute or put on, you know, some static um, and, but, and freeze it so that that worry voice, we get to kind of like tea, you know, like time out. This is worry. This isn't fact. Mm-hmm. We really need to do that, taking a breath and pause in order to say, all right, what is the story that's being told with this worry? And say that story out loud. Mm-hmm. And then say, now, what are the facts? And say this, the facts out loud. And notice what's similar and what's different. Because the worry system has these narratives move through us in light, with lightning speed and has us feeling so affected by them and believing them as though they're true. And they're not. They're just a lot of emotionally based stories that have a major uh, power to punch us in the gut and get us shaking. 
Well, I'll tell you what has helped me the most deal with worry is to stop watching the national news. Oh, my gosh. I have now gone cold turkey for three and a half weeks. I mean, I read and I listen to NPR and the radio, but I am totally off of any national television news. And you know what? It's helped me be a lot calmer. Yeah, it takes me too. I've been listening to books on Audible in my car and in my kitchen while I'm cooking. There you go. I'm so much happier. So much happier. Yeah. Right, because otherwise it just stirs us all up. Well, we are just about needing to wrap up here. Kevin, is there anything else you want to weigh in here? One last comment about um, any of this? This has been very helpful, and uh, thank you for, um, you know, just sort of getting the word out about, you know, anxiety and in sort of it's not something to be ashamed of and i'm always happy to hear you know like we were talking about earlier other people say hey i've dealt with this too and you know to acknowledge it instead of sort of running from it well and on that note i was actually kind of hoping we could all share a brief moment that we did overcome anxiety because you know we've been here talking about how helpful it is to just hear other people say hey this has happened to me before do you have any ideas on a story like that, Kevin? Um, I think, uh, yeah, I just recently I, I've been uh, going in and I'm going to get a loan for a condo and I was very nervous about uh, my, my credit score uh, for no real reason. And uh, it turns out it's, it's okay. And, uh, you know, I was sort of freaking out about it, but, you know, I went through with it and it's good. Yeah. And that's interesting because I had no idea you were freaking out about yeah. that, and yeah. I was in those meetings with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I think I shared my biggest one is uh, the most anxiety that I, I felt increasing in my life was really about um, all of the national news about what's going on in yeah. this country. And, and I was um, out of the country for two weeks. I was in Spain recently. And so I really wasn't watching any national news. I was doing fun things in the Pyrenees. And... Uh, and I, I remembered how much more peaceful I felt. And when I came back, I thought, you know what? I'm not going to disrupt that calm by, you know, plugging myself back into this stuff again. And so I'm, I'm still going strong on uh, going cold turkey. Well, it's good that you noticed your trigger yeah, and you addressed it. Yeah, that's difficult. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's hard to identify. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Now, how about you, Monica? Oh, me? <laughs> well, um, when I was probably in some of my deeper depression, it was a little bit difficult for me to, you know, talk about it with my dad. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, he experienced suicide at a young age. And I think it's always been very difficult for him. But he took me to this movie. It was a Silver Lining Playbook. Um, and in the movie, they both talk about being on medication and, you know, having mental disorders. And he thought of me. He saw the movie by himself, and then he took me to go see the movie. And and it was really nice to watch it because basically it's a whole movie of, like, two people who have had a breakdown in their life that are kind of coming back up from it. And I related to it a lot, and I think it was one of the best um, connection moments that I had between me and my dad and my depression and you know just him saying like hey this made me think of you it calmed a lot of my anxiety after that so wow jane you get the last word here okay great well as as you may know i've been uh healing from a herniated disc for the last year and a half and 
been a lot of worry that's gone with that. And one of the ways that I help myself through it is by using an app called Headspace, which is a mm. meditation app mm-hmm. that has lots of different themes. And I have found it incredibly helpful to just help regulate my breathing and help me stay appreciating that I'm in a process of healing and um, being patient. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I've learned from you uh, that you talk about in your work is that, you know, even people who seem the most accomplished and the most confident may be dealing with and often are dealing with um, incredible stress and anxiety and worry. I mean, we all have that in our lives, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. And I think that there's something in how we gather statistics that may also reflect that there are more people in this generation that have more anxiety. I think they're talking about it more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great because when my experience, when people talk about things, they get to have these human connections and they get to be less alone with their situations of being a human being. There you go. Well, Kevin, thank you very much for joining Monica and me in the studio. Thanks again for having me. And thank you, psychotherapist, executive coach, and leadership consultant, Dr. Jane Shure. You can learn more about her from her TED Talk, Boost Resilience and Take Charge of the Inner Critic and the Inner Worrier. Thank you so much, Jane. This has been fascinating. Wonderful to be with you all. Well, I'm Ann Doyle. Have a good week, everybody. And I'm Monica Doyle. Uh, Jane, everybody, let's go power up. Thanks for joining us at Powering Up. We hope you'll subscribe and share us with your network. Monica and I can be reached through my website and Doyle Leadership. And remember, power is the currency for getting things done. Claim yours and put it to work.